0: Oh my God, choice! What happened? Oh my God! Oh, I just can't. What? Hey, Pat Dubs fans! <laughs> oh my God, that was so douchey. <laughs> Pat Dubs in the house! <laughs> oh my God, that was Rachel for everyone oh. who, who cringed um mm. Mm. oh my god it's the highlight Monday. i feel like we haven't recorded in so long what's it been a week a week i know sorry i had a work trip i had to ditch rebecca this week but i'm back i'm tired but what can you do nothing you can do absolutely nothing about it um Bye. well first and foremost let's go ahead and shout out some new patreon patrons Mary Beth and Taylor welcome you have a few bonus episodes to catch up on Um, my one for February was really good this is Rebecca talking Uh, so you have those at your disposal go have fun and thank you for joining thank you all so much couldn't do it without you really couldn't Um, I also have Robert Redford on my discussion topic so why don't you go ahead and clarify that or do what you were gonna do hey Rachel here in um, episode 36, first of all, I posted about this on TikTok and Instagram, but who knows? Some not Maybe not everyone follows those. Rebecca and I have an entire conversation about Natalie Wood and Robert Redford, but it was quickly pointed out to me that it's actually Robert Wagner. I'm an idiot. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> and she made fun of me for saying John Voigt. Yeah, she, God. Rebecca, in that conversation is like, yeah, Robert Redford and John Voight. And I like laughed at her. It was like, no, it's Christopher Walken, which that one is true. Well, I know. I know. But so I, I'm just an idiot, y'all. I know. Now I know. I actually have been confusing that for years. I do not confuse the two people. I actually just confuse that situation. Isn't that crazy? Years. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Robert Redford. I, I have a whole apology on our TikTok and Instagram to specifically to Robert Redford. Just apologizing for- Because surely he, he follows us for sure. Surely he does. He follows us. <laughs> he absolutely does. He's listening right now. Bobby, we are sorry. We are sorry. You are beautiful, especially in your heyday. hmm <laughs> <laughs> My bad for thinking you were sketchy as hell.
1: So I know
0: that. I hope we didn't lose all credibility because I'm a dumbass. Speaking of TikTok, I posted a creepy story that I found on YouTube and it prompted me to want to know what your creepy stories were, which we got a few submissions on. Yeah, we got. And they're so good. Yeah. And they're really good. So I think we're going to devote an entire episode to them. Um, so feel free to continue sending those in. They give me creepy dating stories. They don't have to be dating stories. Just the TikTok that I posted that prompted this was a dating story. And I'll there are a few comments under that TikTok, like thousands of them that really pissed me off. I'll get into why in that later episode too. I won't devote this episode to it, but I have some shit to say, especially to you men commenting about how it's the woman's fault. Oh my God. This Ugh. is see, this is why I didn't get into those. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, so y'all can keep keep submitting those uh people are the worst pod at gmail.com or send us a message on LinkedIn. I'm not LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, just however you want to get in touch. Um email is probably easiest if we're being perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. So again, that email is people are the worst pod at gmail.com. Creepy stories. Um, yeah, we're going to devote an episode to them and then probably do like a post for each one. Yeah. We'll see. see It'll be fun. I'm excited about that. Yeah. It'll be dope. Uh, Okay. I can get into my story. One little update that I just think is funny. Uh, I think, was it my last episode on Sydney loose episode I announced, or I told Rich that I was pregnant, but I was very early and I I think I said, when this airs, I'll be eight weeks pregnant. Well, I went to the doctor yesterday and they're like, "All right, let's do your first like pregnancy confirmation ultrasound." And this kid in my stomach has arms and legs already. So I'm <laughs> She was like, "This baby is not 8 weeks." Oh my god, let's measure it. So they measured it and I'm like over 12 weeks pregnant. So, so <laughs> scratch the due date of late October, I am early September. <laughs> yeah, it went from like October 20 something to like September 6. I she called me after doctor's appointment and was like, this baby has arms and legs. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And she was like, no, I mean, like, I'm not like six weeks pregnant. It's not a little, little llama bean. It's yeah. Actually a baby already, yeah. which is so funny. I went to my work breakfast and I was like, oh, my baby's, I mean, my sister's baby has arms and legs already. Right. Like, That's how it works. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, well, no I, we thought she was like four weeks pregnant. She like just peed on the stick. Yeah, I thought it was Bobby. still a, I thought it was still a tadpole. But uh <laughs> turns out it wasn't and I'm further along than I thought. So whoop whoop. How exciting. How exciting. I said, Boy, I gotta tell you about my January. I drank all the time, ate sushi. And like, that's okay. I was like, Thank you. I mean you. you thought you had a period. What can you I do? I know. Well, that's what and I told them like, you did and they like, usually we can tell that, but no. I was like, Are you serious? I thought I had two. Okay. It's crazy, ma'am. I think all is well. And that's that. There you go. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah. So today I'm telling you the story of Ruth Finley. Now, I th- you know it. Uh huh. But I don't know if you remember all the details about it, but it is so over the top that I was like, I'm going to do it. I don't give a shit if you know it. I mean, first of all, I never. Give a shit if you know it. Mm-hmm. Do the story if it's a good story. And I don't know the ins and outs. I know I know the premise. Yeah. You know, You're, yeah. I, I'm definitely going to have information told to me that I don't know shit about. Okay. My sources are very heavily this Medium article by Corey Mead. I know My Favorite Murder also covered this years ago in their early days. So... Yeah. <laughs> I, don't okay. I don't know where I was going <laughs> with that, but I know they did too. So if... that's why I remember it, but yeah, there, yeah I don't, probably... I mean, it was years ago is what mm-hmm. I'm telling you. So I don't know the I de- I don't remember details. Okay. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you. Ruth Finley is a 48, year old secretary at Southwestern Bell telephone company. She was a mother of two in Wichita, Kansas. And in November of 1978, she was taking her lunch break downtown and running errands when all of a sudden a bluish green Chevrolet Bel Air pulled up blocking her path. Once she saw the driver, she froze in fear because she had seen this man before. He's wearing black frame glasses, a jean jacket, a sweater, and he gets out of the car asking if she has his money, then gives her a sharp kick to the shin. Ow. Yeah, dick. Yeah. And she's folded over in pain when he grabs her and shoves her in the car. The only person she can see is an old lady crossing the street way up the block, so there's no one there to help her. He climbs into the back seat with her as the getaway driver hauls ass, swigging alcohol out of a brown paper bag. She notices a gas can, chains, pieces of concrete, and rags on the floorboard, and she's panicking. So she goes to open the door to do the old tuck and roll, but there's no door handle. Ooh, old Ted Bundy style. What year is it again? Right now, this is... um, 1978. Yeah, okay. The man starts searching Ruth's purse, finds a detective's business card and shows it to the driver before he calls her a stupid bitch and picks up one of the chunks of concrete and slams it over her head. Jesus. She kind of goes in and out of consciousness and hears the abductor say, we'll get rid of her, but not here. And this is the moment she remembers that she has mace hidden in her purse that he didn't find when he was going through it. But obviously at this point, she's way too scared to attempt to reach for it. Ruth eventually fully wakes up, and her abductor asks if she likes beer because they're gonna go party, but she, so starting weird. off with a bang, uh-huh, mm-hmm. she ignores us after four hours of being in the car with these monsters, she tells them she has to pee, and the men laugh at her. And she tells them, "Well, I'm going to throw up if you don't let me." And she begins gagging. So they pull over but make her take off her shoes and sweater because it's November in Kansas and it's freezing and it'll deter her from running away. Yeah, I'm like, the fuck it will. Dumb logic right there. Are you kidding? (laughs) I'd rather get back in the car with two. Because my feet are cold. Because I'm, yeah, I'm chilly. (laughs) No. The abductor gets out with her and says he's going to go pee too and they can watch each other because it'll be fun. Ew, like the creepiest little. Oh my God. So as they're walking, she subtly reaches her hand in the purse for the mace. And when the man lets go of her arm to unzip his pants, she pulls that nozzle and sprays him right in the face and bolts. Hell yeah. Um, Get it, girl. She's hiding behind a bush and hears him yelling that she's going to freeze out here and tells her that if she comes back to get her shoes and sweater, they won't bother her anymore. Sure, Jan, I'll be right there. Oh my God so stupid that is so good i know she stays behind the bush shivering until he she knows that they're gone and then she runs into a liquor store asking for help they call the police and her husband ed who has been panicking and already reported her missing and he meets her meets her there the detectives went to the park where she escaped from the kidnappers and they found her sweater and shoes but weren't able to trace any footprints or recover any additional clues They ran a check on a 1964 Chevy Bel Air, but no plausible suspects came up. As I said at the beginning, this was not Ruth's first time seeing this guy. In June of 1977, so a year and a half-ish before this, Ed, her husband, had collapsed from an apparent heart attack after working in the backyard. Ruth rushed him to the hospital, and he was stable but needed to stay there overnight, so Ruth went home to get some sleep. Late that night, she was startled by the sound of the phone ringing and answered it thinking it was going to be the hospital. But instead, it was a man's voice who said, is this Ruth Smock from Fort Scott, Kansas? This really caught her off guard because no one ever uses her maiden name and she hadn't lived in Fort Scott in decades. So she's all, yes, it is. And he says, I know all about that night. And Ruth knew immediately the night he was referring to. Uh, oh, Mm-hmm. Okay. He then, begins, Don't remember that. he then begins to read a Fort Scott newspaper article from 1946 that says, Branded on both thighs by Flatiron, apparently by a sex maniac, Ruth Smock's 16-year-old Fort Scott high school girl is resting today at home with her parents following an attack. Ruth had a flashback of that night. She had just gone to the grocery store and was carrying the groceries inside when she heard the screen door close behind her. When she turned around, there was a man standing there. He grabbed her and started tearing off her clothes. She remembers the intruder was about 50 years old and was wearing dirty overalls. Struggling to break free, Ruth pressed her thumbs into the man's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. You are supposed to. I know. Eyes are are weak, what you go for. I know. Whatever you need to do. Easy to hurt. Yeah, whatever you need to do. Pull them out if you have to. Just get the F out of there. I have to shout this out real quick. Just think about self defense in oh. case this helps you, because I did not know this. I've heard that. I've heard go for the eyes, whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard hard things in soft places, places. like yeah. like elbows into a stomach or a cheek or a something. And then my friend gentle me. This is, I've never heard this. You're supposed to scream your name. Like, I'm Rachel <laughs> because it like clears your head of like any, like, like it just clears you up. Oh, it, I like, may have you heard of that. that. Oh, God. It's so weird. But Isn't I would think crazy? the man attacking me would clear my mind of anything but that. Like, my adrenaline would do it. No, no, I, I think it's just, I don't know. Actually, I, yeah, I would think that too. But she took a class and they said, scream, I am. In her case, it was Jen, me, Rachel, what up? Um, That, maybe it does clear your head and it probably really throws off the attacker. Sorry, what the fuck are you talking about? You, you I also don't do- care! You also do it in the hopes that they'll scream back to introduce themselves as well. <laughs> and then you really got them. Then you're like, you're a sucker! <laughs> I'm Ted Bundy and I... Oh, shit. <laughs> you're an idiot bye got him oh my god that's hilarious okay good to know (laughs) and if you do that let us know and hopefully he introduces himself back for real (laughs) god that would be hilarious i love dumb criminal stories like that oh it's good it's Uh, good so just so y'all know little survival skills for you there you go so she yeah she I gouged him, and she was free for a second, and he yelled that he would make sure that no one would look at her ever again and shoves a chloroform-soaked rag in her face. Woof. I know. There's no defense over that. The last thing she remembers as she's fading out of consciousness is him heating a flat iron on the stove. Mm. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. When she woke up, she had first degree burns on both thighs and blood was covered all over her body, but she was alive. No other details on what he did to her. Um, she was a minor at the time. So maybe uh, that's why they didn't print it. And she just never told anyone. I don't know. So this asshole on the phone, bringing bringing up that night 30 years later is really scaring Ruth. Then he asks about if she still has her brands and she tells him she doesn't know what he's talking about and is about to hang up, but he demands it she give him money or the entire town would know about her branding and her attack. Well, so I know, but as a 16 year old, she was really embarrassed that it was printed in the, in the newspaper. And she had the the victim shame that some people get and never outgrew it. She just, she moved on from that life. She didn't want it brought up again. She doesn't want her friends to know she doesn't want it. Yeah. So weird stigma, but I, I could <laughs> see that being the case in 1946. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point it's nineteen seventy-eight. But well, I know that. In 77. But... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just it stayed with her and she doesn't want it. Fine. So back off. Just kidding. He then said, I know where you work. And she slammed the phone down, hanging up on him. The following day, the hospital called and said Ed didn't actually have a heart attack. He collapsed due to an injury from a car wreck that he was in the year prior. So they Whoa. had to I know. Yikes. I was like, I don't know more about that. So they had to keep him for observation for another week. She didn't tell him about this phone call because he had enough going on. So instead, she just lived in fear, expecting another phone call, but she never got one. But he knew about the branding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Later that summer, Ruth walked into her office to find an envelope on her desk with her name on it. She opened it and a yellow old newspaper clipping fell out. It was the article from 1946. Ooh. This started a string of phone calls from a man, but every time he would call, Ruth would hang up on him before he started talking, so she didn't know what he was going to say. And when Ed would pick up, the man would hang up before saying anything. Mind you, Ed still doesn't know anything that's happening at this point. In August of 1977, Ruth was window shopping downtown when she heard a man behind her say, you've done such a good job this week. You can take the weekend off. Ruth said this guy looked to be in his late 40s, about Five nine, skinny with a plaid shirt on, jeans, and the hair was graying at his temples. Cute. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about that. Did she turn around and say, the fuck you talking about? No, she ignored him. She had no idea who this guy was, but he asked if she works at the telephone company. Ruth ignored this too, but he persisted and asked if she was an operator. Ruth continued ignoring him and kept walking and he started walking with her and asked if she wanted to go to Vegas. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yes, dude. He then switched topics and said, the camera reflects the true quality of one's soul. This guy would uh-huh. take an ecstasy. Just <laughs> <laughs> He's <all> <laughs> tripping. <laughs> yeah. Ruth was weirded out and more annoyed than ever said she was waiting for her husband and to essentially get the hell away. He then said... I like your face. I'll see you again. You can count on that. Some people's fantasies are other people's nightmares and walks oh away. God. Damn. Mm-hmm. When Ed picked up Ruth, she told him about this man, this run And he told her he was probably just hitting on you. Classic man downplaying it. No, Ed. He told me where I worked and said that my fantasies <laughs> are his nightmares. I mean, my nightmares are his fantasies. Ed's so, like, well... Look how deep your shirt cuts. That's your fault. <laughs> yeah. You're enticing them. Why are you wearing that? Yeah. What? Don't be a tease. Yeah, Ed, that's, a, that's what Ed said. How are you walking? Yeah. Was Did you give strut? him the eyes? Yeah. Oh, you're strutting. That you're <laughs> that's slutty. practically cheating on me. Yeah. And you tease that man. That's fucked. That is the mentality. 1970s mentality of, <laughs> well, yeah. Classic. Classic. What'd you do to make him hit on you? Yeah. Shouldn't see that man for almost a year and life resumed as normal until June 1978. She was walking downtown again past an alleyway when she felt her wrist being grabbed. It was the same guy from the previous summer and she broke free from him and he yelled, Ruth, get back here, you stupid bitch, and talk to me. As she was hauling ass across the street and she was already in the Macy's. Again, with the stupid bitch? Yes. I'm like, enough with your name calling. You- sorry this can probably be probably be cut are all these incidents happening after the car hit in the head left in the field no these are events leading up leading up to that okay that's what i thought yeah you can you can leave that in okay yeah let's leave that in just for clarification Mm -hmm. so this so the second stupid bitch that i'm familiar with has not happened yet correct okay there we are Mm -hmm. we back she ran all the way up to the fifth floor of the Macy's before stopping and calling Ed. And this is when she broke and told Ed everything. The phone calls, the newspaper clippings, everything. They went down to the police station and finally made their first report. And that October, Ruth received an unmarked letter in the mail that simply said, fuck you, fuck the police, and fuck the telephone company. I feel like everyone's dads would agree with that last one. He's the... yeah. He's very mad at Bell South or whatever, uh-huh. wherever she works. That uh-huh. sounds like it led in, it. eventually became Bell South. Yeah. Yeah, everyone was mad at him. Sure. Uh, Randy Britton, our father, would, ha- would wholeheartedly agree. He hates the <laughs> telephone company. <laughs> does he? Why is he still all have that dads, damn? All dads do. I feel like it's like just a thing. Yeah. Why does he still have that damn landline then? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But it's very telling that. This guy knows they went to the cops and the realization of how bad this is is kicking in. They went back to the police station and they were assigned to Lieutenant Bernie Frowatsky, a very seasoned detective in the in the criminal investigation division. Normally this division wouldn't handle cases like Ruth's, but this happened to be at the peak of BTK Killer, who was in his third year of terrorizing Wichita. And who had oh. mm-hmm. Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader, who they was unknown at this point, but he also wrote letters like this, so they weren't taking any chances. Shit. And was in this area. Yeah, Are they Wichita still Wichita. in Kansas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Wichita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, BTK is a recurring theme in this story. Shit. But after hearing her story, he was kind of underwhelmed. He didn't think this sounded like BTK and really didn't have the time for it honestly, because BTK was, everyone was freaking out about it. So he didn't right. really take this seriously at first. The stalker began writing her longer letters with a poem at the end. One being, wherever you go on water or land, you still got to pay or I will tell you, tell about your brand. I am smart and no things to do. You talk to people I despise, like police and tell Oh God. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, this isn't BTK-ish. Right. But they're but then they're like, well, when he was attacking you, did he yell, I am BTK? <laughs> I am Dennis Raider. No, why would the attacker <laughs> yell it? <laughs> because he was introducing himself. I know. Like we already talked about. Yeah. Never mind. Mm. It was just an okay joke. Ruth brought the letter to Lieutenant Drowski, who sent them to be fingerprinted, but nothing ever came from it. And the letters got more bizarre each time, like filled with a lot of misspelled words. They started making no sense. And the writer would even like start making up words. It was like he was slowly losing it. Yeah. But the only consistent thing was bringing up Ruth's branding. He was fascinated by her burns. The letters eventually died out and so did the phone calls. So for a few weeks, they thought the stalker had moved on. Then that day in November came when Ruth was kidnapped. The letters were handwritten, remind me? Yeah. Okay. For five weeks after that, detectives were escorting Ruth everywhere, on her lunch breaks, going home, everywhere. They even took a few trips to Fort Scott to dig up the teenage assault case and see if any suspects were would result in a potential lead or were even still alive, but had no luck. Joowski even discusses Ruth's case on a talk show sponsored by KEYN Radio, while Ruth and three detectives listened in on the studio line to all incoming calls, hoping that one of the voices would be the stalker, but he didn't call him. Then the detective received a letter accusing him of, quote, protecting a whore from death, and this enraged him, because at this point he had become friends with Ruth and Ed, and he really liked him, so he was pissed and more determined than ever to find this guy. The letters continued to pile up through spring and summer, each one written in a rhyming verse, so Ed started calling him the poet. And the poems got more grotesque, grotesquely sexual. An example being, the whore bore her guilt in her bed of slime from selling her ass and not charging a dime, slept with strangers in evil bed, enraged demon hunters saw blood was red. All bitches should keep their names and faces secret. Screw you, man. I don't know. Determined not to let this control their life, Ruth and Ed decided to keep their annual summer trip to Colorado. And in August 1979, Ruth went to Dillard's to look for a pair of jeans for the vacation. Ed was not for this, but Ruth reassured him she'd be fine. She's going to a public place, et cetera, et cetera. By the time she got out of the mall, the sun was already setting and her car was one of the last ones in the parking deck. Ooh. Ooh. Getting spooked, she started r- walking really fast, eyes jolting everywhere to be on the lookout. And she all of a sudden hears a man yell, Hey, Ruth, I didn't think you were going to make it this easy. Oh, Lord. hmm She turned around, and it was the poet. Ruth ran to her, who she thinks is the poet. I mean, sure. Yeah. Who else would it be? But it's the same man who kidnapped her and everything. Ruth ran to her car, but before she could unlock the door, the man came up behind her and grabbed her wrist, then slammed her head against the window. He threw a brown paper bag through the open rear window that had rope, white tape, a red bandana, and a half a bottle of wine in it. He pulls out an eight-inch Boeing knife, but before he could force himself into the car, Ruth kicked him so hard that she was able to break free and ran to the passenger side of the car, which was unlocked, but the window was open. She slammed the door, locked it, and began rolling up the window as he reached in to try to grab her. Oh, she just, that's that's the manual lever. That's the crank. We're both cranking a car window. That just, just She's just cranking that thing as hard as her little arms can. Yes, that is and so scary. I know, that, it's like, it's just, ugh, well, yeah, it's scary. She did this until his arm was practically stuck and he pulled it away, slipping off the glove he was wearing, which was now caught in her window. Ruth climbs over to the driver's side, and gets the fuck out of there, watching him and the rear view mirror go ballistic. Can you, can you just like wanna lift your <laughs> little Later, bitches, finger? Little <laughs> yeah. Just open that window and stick your middle finger out and say bye-bye bye Bye, bitches peace fucker (laughs) ruth started feeling nauseous as she's driving and after her adrenaline has calmed down she notices a pain in the side of her torso when she looks down she sees a knife is sticking out of her Ooh, he had stabbed her and she didn't even notice she was losing a ton of blood and feeling really weak so she pulled over into a gas station and called the police But when cops were on their way, she was scared that the stalker was, I'm going to start calling him the poet. She was scared the poet was following her. So she decided to drive home to Ed instead, who rushed her to St. Joseph's Hospital and Lieutenant Drowowski met them there. The doctor said any deeper and it would have killed her. And her story was all over the news that night. Obviously, they did not go on their vacation to Colorado. Yeah. In the midst of BTK, they didn't know if this was a copycat or what was going on, but this guy was clearly a threat to the community. So they went public with it and released a sketch of him warning everyone of how dangerous he is. Ruth had to stay in the hospital for the next nine days with a cop stationed in the next room while she recovered. So now they're taking her case real seriously. Yeah. The day after she was released, a nurse told the police that a man fitting the description of Ruth's attacker visited the nurse's station to inquire about her. Obviously, Drowski was certain this was their suspect and stayed at the Finley's house for the next 48 hours in case the man showed up, but to no avail. Sorry, the nurse told them that? Yeah. Oh. I know. Ed started communicating with the poet through newspaper classifieds. Again, very much like BTK. Yeah, really. And he would say things like, poet, tell me what I owe you, signed R-S-F. But the poet would respond with very vague answers like, RSF, the price of my service to stay alive can be settled at five, but give no additional details. In his letters, the poet started referring to Ruth as the seventh hardest to find. This raised further s- speculation that he might be BTK, who had killed six women at this point. Oh. hmm But okay. this didn't seem like the case. It seemed more like a sick game to police. Because BTK wasn't doing this to any of those other six women? Yeah. It wasn't taunt. Yeah. He wasn't taunting. Right right the newspaper released another police sketch of the suspect and leads piled in of potential sightings and it put a lot of pressure on the police to find him. so they decided to use ruth as bait sending her to the towny mall wearing a wire and surrounded by eight undercover cops just walking around waiting to be attacked but no one showed up they sent her walking downtown by herself in a bulletproof vest again surrounded by undercover cops but again nothing the poet appeared to have moved on to stalking the family's house. One night, Ruth heard loud noises coming from the garage, and the next morning she found a letter on their front porch that said, A fucked up childhood causes anger and hate. Players of games are forced to wait. Mm, okay. In January 1980, Lieutenant Drowowski was promoted to vice in organized crimes, and Ruth's case was given to Captain Mike Hill. Hill had taken over the special investigations department, which was spearheading Ruth's case and BTK. The poet heard of this change from old detective to new and wrote Captain Hill a little limerick. There once was a captain who had an asshole for a heart. (laughs) Okay. Good one. Good one. Poet. In January 1980. That's it? Yeah. I just wanted to (laughs) throw that in there. (laughs) That was it? There once was an asshole. Uh, there once was a captain who had an asshole for a heart. And that's yeah. it. How could I not throw that in there? It's just no, i with story. you. I'm just, that's funny that that's all it was. That's okay. it. Yep. And? In January 1980, Ruth received a call at her office from the poet telling her that he left a present for her in the lobby. She immediately called police. And when they arrived, they found a 12-inch butcher knife wrapped in a red bandana with a note saying, shut your eyes and think of the 12-inch blade. Will you remember the hole it made? Dream of me and obey my commands. Think of me with a knife in my hands. Two more witnesses reported seeing a man at the phone booth outside their lobby who resembled the police sketch. Oh, Um, Lord. I know. So one of these has got, you'd think one of these would lead right to him. Ed started driving Ruth to and from work and the letters really escalated over the following weeks, even sending one to a local morgue saying that Ruth would be needing their services soon. Oh, my God. I know. He sent one to the DMV suggesting they confiscate Ruth's driver's license because of danger- dangerous driving habits. He contacted her <laughs> bank asking to transfer all her money. Okay, dude. We'll get right on that. Just give me your name and the funds will be available in no time. Oh, my God. I love that idea. I know. Do you like, know okay, what sure. Want? I know. I'm like, I want to call a bank and be like, y'all have a Smith, right? Yeah.
1: Give yeah. me all his
0: funds. I mean, doesn't know how banks work. No. Check. Mm
1: -hmm. Another
0: piece to the puzzle. Right. Never been to a bank. (laughs) Right. He even contacted the health department to tell them Ruth was spreading venereal disease, which, okay, now you're spreading STD rumors, how... Mature. defamatory yeah so now cops have to question every 13 year old girl in the surrounding area <laughs> oh my god now everyone's like go get std checked yeah. it's spreading <laughs> like wildfire because of this chick apparently But really? on, on nice. authority of the poet uh-huh apparently Who everyone's is... about to get vd Right. who's a junior high mean girl yeah for real Eventually, Ruth's story made national news. Everyone was fascinated and this caught the attention of several professionals all over the country. Dr. Murray S. Marin, a prominent psycholinguist at Syracuse University. So essentially he's an expert in the relationship between linguistic behavior and psychological processes. So he gained oh, yeah. national. cool. Yeah, I love shit like this. He gained national attention for his work he did on the Son of, Son of Sam case in 1977. Oh, yeah. David Berkowitz used to write letters to police taunting them. So, uh-huh. mm-hmm. so Dr. Myron wrote a profile stating that the poet was clearly and severely psychotic, obsessive, schizophrenic, extremely dangerous, and a loner. He also said that while the style of the poet and BTK were very similar, he did not believe they were the same person. But the speculation continued because the poet kept referring to the fox he just killed and his letters to Ruth, which made some people think that he was alluding to Nancy Joe Fox, BTK's latest victim at the time. Um, mm-hmm. BTK's just inspo for things to say to fuck with people, I guess. Yeah, clearly. Spoiler, it is not BTK. Well, right. Well, I know I'm spoiling it for our listeners. No, it's not BTK. They thought they hit a break in the case when one of the envelopes was postmarked from Oklahoma City. It was the first time a letter was sent outside of Wichita. Captain Hill called Oklahoma PD to bolo. And not knowing anything about this letter, Oklahoma PD told them that a woman did call in claiming to see the man who resembled the poet. They found this guy and apparently he had worked in Wichita. And he had just been oh. fired from his job, which is why he moved to Oklahoma City. Hill and his team were thrilled because surely this was it. But when the suspect was flown to Wichita for a police lineup, Ruth confirmed it wasn't him. It was what? Pure, pure coincidence. This was a rando who happened to have lived in Wichita, got fired, moved to Oklahoma City, and kind of looked like a creep who stalks middle-aged women. What's the description again? Gray, gray hair at the temples, uh, dark hair, gray hair at the temples typically wearing black framed glasses in his late forties ish. Okay. The real poet continued his harassment, leaving an ice pick and a bottle of urine on the Finley's front porch, a bag of feces, which at this point you could test, you could test that shit. (laughs) Literally. Oh, (laughs) literally. (laughs) But not back then. He left Molotov cocktails. What? So you said at this point you meant like today you could test it. Back oh, then you yeah. cannot. Right. Oh I was like, damn, they could. 1979 no. or 80, whatever. No. Nope. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. At this point. He also left a left a bag of hair. This would be in 2023, it would be a detective's dream find. Oh my God. You're like, are the are the roots still on all these hairs? Hell yeah. I don't no. think it would matter. Yeah. Oh he left Molotov of cocktails and the list goes on. Jesus. Police put a hidden camera in a birdhouse in the backyard. They got nothing. This guy was clearly watching their every move. Despite the hundreds of hours of diligent police work, the Wichita police were no closer to finding a suspect and Chief Lemonyan was getting a lot of scrutiny from the public on not catching the poet and not catching BTK. Oh my God, his plate's full. I know, no shit. What, is Ed just losing his mind at this point? Yeah, he starts like sleeping in the backyard with a rifle. Oh, okay. We haven't talked about Ed in a minute. Oh, he's out of his skin worried. Oh, okay. He hates this. I know. Poor Ed. Poor Ruth. Yeah. But LeMunnion really trusted his detectives and never intervened with their cases. So he let them do them until he got wind that the poet's latest letter said that after he was done with Ruth, he was going to kill LeMunnion's wife, Sharon. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-huh. He even mentioned the make of her car and the route she drove home from work. So now he's pissed. Shit. Yeah. You've done piss off the chief poet. He's like, now I'm going to start taking this seriously. Right. He decided to ditch his preferred managerial style and get involved because it's personal. Yeah. That night, he took home the big ass file of documents. He read every single one. He visualized every incident. He diligently studied each version of the police sketch and he made very detailed notes. And by the end of the weekend, he knew who the poet was. On Monday morning, Lomonyan called a meeting with his 16 officers, instructing them to go into the war room, which is usually a windowless room in the basement designed for natural disasters, but he wanted to make sure this was kept, kept confidential. He stood at the head of the table and said, the poet is Ruth Finley herself. Hell yeah. I uh, yeah, that was a really good buildup.
1: <laughs> that was a
0: good, a good bomb drop. See, I wish I didn't already know. But, you, but got I, goose- you said you got goosebumps anyway. I did. I did get goosebumps, but okay. Never mind. It was just a good buildup. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all heard that Ruth. Well, before anyone could say anything, he began listing the reasons. One, there had never been a single witness to any of Ruth's encounters, yet all of them occurred in public places. Two. The families lived on a dead-end street with little traffic, and none of the neighbors or station police officers had ever spotted the poet, nor were there any footprints ever discovered. Detectives found only a single set of footprints, Ruth's, in the park where she supposedly maced her kidnapper. She also said her kidnapper had struck her in the face with concrete, but there was no injury on her face. Captain Hill received a letter from the poet as soon as he took over Ruth's case, but only Ruth, Ed, and police knew Hill had assumed command. As soon as the hidden camera was placed in the birdhouse, the, po- the poet stopped appearing in Ruth and Ed's backyard and moved all his harassment to the front porch. And lastly, the poet's messages to Ed and the Eagle Beacon classified section stopped whenever the families were out of town or something. And they all resumed when they returned. Oh, yeah. The evidence is damning. Uh, evidence is damning. But I still have questions because there were things I didn't know. Well, I still have six more pages. Oh. Uh- over the years, the detectives had become really close with the families, as I mentioned, and developed a friendship which blinded them from reality. I mean, Ruth would bake cookies for them while they were sitting in the p- patrol cars at night because she felt so bad that they were stuck there patrolling her house. Like she appeared to be such a sweet lady. But Lamunyan had zero emotional investment in this and could see easily that this shit was an inside job. Yeah. He said it had to be either Ruth or Ed, but he did not think it was Ed. Do you remember if Ed's involved? I don't remember if Ed's involved. I don't think he is, if I recall. I know there's speculation, but I think it just makes more sense that she just made this whole thing up because otherwise, if Ed's involved, he has an accomplice mm-hmm. who's like actually doing these acts and like actually is described the way we're described. I don't think that's possible. Right. I think she just made it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll see. Okay. Detective Drowowski was particularly devastated since him and his wife had become like best friends with Ed and Ruth. Like they would go over each other's house for dinner and all that. And actually he and a lot of detectives thought Lemonyan was off his rocker. Even bringing up the several psychologists, the doctors that got involved in the case saying they would have caught this, but now Lemonyan's like, nah, they're all hacks. Just go witness. (laughs) They didn't say that, but I'm sure he thought it. The witnesses through me. I don't remember that. The nurse. I know. The Oklahoma City thing. Mm-hmm. Oh. Do we find Ruth in Oklahoma City around that time? I you know, I don't know. it d I didn't specify. I mean, must have, clearly. Yeah. Can you imagine <clears throat> being the old detective and his wife and like becoming close? Like, you have them over for dinner, you're good, buds. And finding out something like this. Like, how duped would you I feel? Know. And you're a detective. Like. Right. Ah, this, this chick really slid under my radar. It's exactly like, well, pretty much exactly like the Cindy James case, which I, Rachel covered in episode 16. Well, that's still up for debate. If she was the, the culprit, there is a lot of debate there. Um, I feel like this one is more cut and dry, but I can't remember you, you finish your six pages and you tell me more. I will tell you. Lemonyan asked Dr. Shrag. <laughs> it's, it's not schwag. Shrag shrag yeah Shwag <laughs> would be dope as hell though <laughs> <laughs> he's a psychologist and a police consultant such a badass job if i were in the mo- yeah i know if i were a psychologist i'd be like i want to work for the police department uh-huh so he asked him if he thought this could be possibly ruth and he flat out said no way even you know. oh. lemonyan's own physician said ruth wouldn't be able to stab herself the way she did in the side on her left side on the torso I think it was like more, I know, I think I kind of call bullshit on that. Sure you can. Yeah. Just because it was a little bit in her back, but I'm like, so an eight inch bowing knife's big. Like physically, he doesn't think like where it was. Yeah. She could do that during the, he he does not think she could stab herself the way that the attacker did that day. Yeah. No. I don't know. I know. know. But this didn't convince and He was set that Ruth and the poet were the same person. Police put Ed and Ruth under surveillance for the next two weeks. At least one police car and one helicopter would follow them in their every move. How Whoa. subtle. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. The helicopter that's been hovering over the house all day just <laughs> came to the grocery store with me. I <laughs> think something's going on. What are you talking about? They probably told him as for her protection. Really? Like, nah, <laughs> it's for your surveillance, <laughs> homie. Uh, I know. they like, honey, look at this helicopter that's walking with us (laughs) there's no way they could tell her that was for her protection because then she wouldn't do anything yeah what like it's if she actually thought it was for her protection quote unquote but she is the poet then they're not going to catch her doing anything they're not going to catch her dropping off a letter on her mail in her mailbox or doing anything she's just going to not do anything the the same old shit they've been dealing with the whole time Au contraire, because I don't know if they didn't notice or whatever the case might be. But three days later at 8.30 a.m., police saw, and it was the helicopter that saw, Ed pull into Eastgate Mall and Ruth reach out of the passenger side window and put something in the mailbox. The cops got the mailbox open at 1.30, so five hours later, and found two letters from the poet, one addressed to Ruth and one addressed to the local TV station. But because there was a five-hour gap, they didn't think this was good enough evidence. The poet could have come after Ruth, for all we know. And Ed was driving? Yep. So they set up shop outside that drop box and waited for her to do it again. And sure enough, that Saturday, Ruth came by, dropped off some mail, and drove off. But this time, the undercover cop following her immediately pulled in front of the mailbox and blocked anyone else from accessing it until the postal inspector got there holy shit so there you go no she did not think these people were protecting her she just didn't even know they were there right there you go helicopter i know. flying high in the sky undetected right that somehow saw her little arm reach out and drop a mail uh letter so, so the second time when he blocked anyone from dropping anything else in there no was ed with her oh yes 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 oh shit i, I know i don't Sorry. know ed this this ain't good I thought you were about to ask if the helicopter caught that one too. Which, the helicopter no. landed <laughs> it's on top of his car, preventing him from going anywhere. And yeah, said, stop so right there. We got to inspect this, whatever you just dropped off. Uh huh. So once the inspector opened it, he, they found four envelopes. Three of them were utility payments, and one was a letter from the poet to Ruth that said, No dumbass bitch will get the fucking law to get me. The cop resealed the envelope and put it back in the mailbox to see if the Finleys would bring it down to the police station, just as they did with every other letter. Sure enough, the next morning, Ed came to the police station to report the letter that little did he know the cops had already seen. They obviously were all convinced at this point, but there was still no physical evidence to tie he or Ruth to this. They saw him. Physical (laughs) evidence. Yeah, they saw him, but... If they're going to file charges, they need physical evidence. They, so no dash cam recording them coming up to the mailbox, dropping it off, and then them getting the letter but, out of the mailbox. No. Nah. I mean, I get physically, they need like fingerprints is what you're talking about. Yeah. But like a, a a lick of a stamp would be great. <clears throat> I know. Actually, I not at this point. I guess not. I know. Not at this point. Oh, I yeah. This, this would go on for one day if it were 2023. This would oh, be well, real yeah. easy. Duh. So they go down to Ruth's office on a day she wasn't working and filled her boss in, who lets them search her office. They found a book of oh, poetry, a torn piece of carbon paper in the trash with the poet's handwriting on it, as if she like, started a letter, didn't like it, and just ripped off it ripped it off and threw it away. Oh. Uh-huh. And they found a red bandana, which the poet often incorporated into his acts. The next week, Chief Lemonion and his wife, Sharon, returned from a police convention in New Orleans to find another letter from the poet. It was postmarked a day before they started monitoring Ruth, so the cops probably missed her dropping it off. But when they opened it, they saw that half of the page was torn off. Oh. Damn. The next day, microscopic fracture analysis proved that the other half of that page perfectly matched the ripped piece of paper found in Ruth's trash. Hell yeah. This is the physical evidence they needed people. Gosh, you had, you had to do some real detective work for real. Oh uh, no, that was being a cop in the seventies, man. Oh my she- God. And then again, what if you're a boss being like, Oh my God, I've been hearing about this poet guy forever. You're joking me. Right. Mm-hmm. They also went down to the power company where Ruth and Ed had recently paid a bill. And got that envelope and the stamp matched the one that was on lemonion's letter. After testing it, they were able to prove it came from the same stamp booklet. I don't know how they put this. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't so, have a stamp book. I know. I do. And another podcast said, or maybe another article, I can't remember. I read so much. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> but said that like the torn like you know stamps had the jagged yeah. edges yeah, it matched yeah. it matched perfectly in the sheet of root stamps but I'm like every I'll that i all do my like if we had the same picture on a stamp I guarantee my edge would match your edge yes a hundred percent so I don't really get that but that was like the well, damning evidence Today, that's true. They may have changed. Like, I have those, those little stickers. That's but like, true. The, in the 70s, a stamp book may have been, like, very unique to each stamp because they were so important. That's true. That's true. Maybe it was like that. So their investigation work was done, but the only question they had was whether or not Ed was involved. They bring Ed to the police station, and Captain Hill and Detective Jack Leon, who is a newbie newbie on the case, read Ed his rights before questioning him. They first asked him about his early life and career, and while he was really confused, he was very truthful and concise, and the police were confident that he had no idea it was Ruth. Two hours into the interview, they walked him through the poet's activities, beginning when he was in the hospital in 1977, and revealed that they know who the poet was, and his face lit up. He was thrilled and said, I hope the hell you do. Let's go get him. Oh. Captain Hill told him first, they wanted to show him some pictures and they presented the ones of Ed pulling into the mall and Ruth dropping off the letters in the mailbox. And they told him that they have evidence that one of those letters being dropped off is from the poet. Ed sat silently for minutes, just stunned and began whispering. Oh my God. Uh Uh-huh. What were they like? So what did you think y'all were dropping off? Utility bills. There were utility payments in there. Okay. Okay. His mom was probably racing over the last four years. Captain Hill reassured Ed they weren't mad at Ruth, but they wanted to get her the help she very clearly needed and told him that in order to eliminate him from being involved, they they would need him to take a polygraph test, which he does, and he flat he passes with flying colors. Yeah Now it was time to bring Ruth in. Captain Hill started the same tactic with her. Let's chat about your childhood, blah, blah. But he interrupts her. I'm sure he's pretty over it at this point. Puts a stack of the poet's letters in front of her and asks if she has written any of these. Of course, she denies it, and he calls her a liar. He turns into a little bit of a bad cop, which she's kind of, she's taken a back bat, but he pressed on and showed her the surveillance pictures. She genuinely looked shocked and didn't say a word. So he softened up a bit and reminded her that he wasn't mad at her but wanted to know why she was doing this. To which she replied, "No, no, Nanya. Oh." Don't worry about it. So he asked if she needed help and she says yes. Oh. So now she It makes sad. I feel really bad for her, actually. So now she's admitting it and says she has no idea why she made up the story about the abduction, has no idea why she stabbed herself. She said on the day of her supposed abduction, she had taken the bus to Twin Lakes, walked to the river, left her sweater and shoes there for police to discover. She stifened the gas from her own car to make the Molotov cocktails she left on her porch. Whoa. But- I mean, she, how did she know how to make one without I know. Google? Again, y'all, I'm sorry. Sure, I don't feel sure. that dependent on technology, I don't think, but I clearly am. Yeah. I'm like, how did you do all this? How did you know how to make a Molotov cocktail? I know. People but in fuck? the 70s, you must have been real resourceful before the internet. <laughs> I just just don't understand. Grabbing that encyclopedia. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Interesting. Wow. But all out. She did say the assault when she was 16 years old really did happen. That actually happened. I was going to ask. I couldn't remember. She has the brands. She has the burns. She doesn't have an explanation for anything else though. That's what messed her up. Well, we get into that too. She also confirmed Ed had no idea and that she never wanted to face him again. But Hill is very sympathetic towards her. He knows immediately there was no malicious intent and sees that there was something seriously wrong here. He asks if she wants to see a doctor to what she said, yes. And he brings in Dr. Schrag, the psychologist and police consultant. When they walked in, Ruth's forehead is on the table and Dr. Schrag asks what she would prefer to do. And she says, go home and die. Oh, God. I uh, know. He assures her if he can help her, she'll be back at work and live a normal life within a few months. At 9 p.m., they put her in a squad car, Ed by her side, and they take her to St. Joseph's Hospital and place her under a psychiatric watch. The police in total spent $370,000 on this investigation, which is the equivalent to $1.3 million today. But most of them did not want to press charges. The exception being Chief Lemonion. He's, He's no so like, nonsense
1: <laughs> yet no again,
0: nonsense. no emotional attachment. I don't give a shit. Wasted time and money. I am done. I know that could have been used on BTK, but yeah, he saw, he saw her as a criminal and wanted to punish her. But after reviewing Ruth's psychological report, the district attorney announced he would not pursue criminal charges. Whoa. So Ruth started working with Dr. Andrew Pickens, a psychoanalytic practitioner And he diagnosed Ruth with dissociative identity disorder, which is common among victims of childhood trauma. After a lot of therapy, Ruth revealed that when she was little, an adult neighbor and family friend had used a red bandana to tie her up and another red red bandana to gag her while he sexually assaulted her. He did this for over a year and threatened to kill her if she told anyone their secret. During the abuse, she said that she would, quote, float off to heaven And it was as if she could see what was happening to the little girl below, but it wasn't her. So it wasn't as bad. Oh, no. I know. So this dissociative state allows them to escape reality. Okay. That is like a dissociative fugue, Mm -hmm. which I covered in my, I think, first bonus episode. This is Rachel again, about Mm -hmm. Hannah. Okay. Interesting. But but in that, she's not like making things up. It's not that. She just escapes. She goes away. People think she's missing, and she's like, oh, yeah. here I am. Yeah. She? She, so Hannah, like, lived her life without memory of anything. Like, yeah, Ruth would, I'll get to it, but Ruth, when she would do these stalker things, she couldn't remember any of that. She genuinely, in her waking life, thought she was being stalked. Oh, yeah. That we did talk about something similar in the Cindy James episode. Yeah. Like, if... She may have had that too, where like, she did think someone was doing this. She like, could not remember doing it herself. Crazy. Yeah. Ooh, that is so insane. Sad. I know. know. And Ruth had never told. But she knew to admit it. Yeah, we, we get there and we can talk about it, but. Okay. First, Ruth had never told anyone about this sexual abuse. She buried it for 43 years And Dr. Pickens thinks that the stress of Ed being in the hospital that night and the panic over BTK triggered her trauma and brought those repressed memories to surface. Oh, my God. She spent seven years in intensive therapy with Ed, her kids, and her siblings all by her side. She was on Oprah, and she says she didn't know she did any of it. She really thought she was being stalked. It wasn't until she started remembering some things, I think, as soon as they presented evidence to her, like Mm -hmm. we said. But it wasn't until years of working with Dr. Pickens that she had recovered all her memories of what she did. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She said the response from the viewers was overwhelmingly positive and it erased the lingering disgrace she felt for her actions. Spoiler, Chief Lemonian thinks she's full of shit. <laughs> this guy, no holds bar. He doesn't give a shit. He, hadn't, he hasn't the time oh my god he's like you are all suckers uh-huh. sure Oprah okay but she sees this as a happy ending and that right is the tragic story of Ruth Finley that is insane I did see I knew it I knew it was her I couldn't remember about Ed I did not remember about the witnesses like the nurse saying that that is weird so did they not go back and we're like wait sorry so you really did see someone that matches description who yeah, asked but was about like- her I, I don't The ask the nurse is the only one that really I'm like who was that then but maybe some people like to fuck with victims I bet it was some creep who just you know yeah I want to make the news even though it'll be anonymous uh the other two I'm like oh a guy in your 40s with dark hair and thick rimmed glasses in the 70s was near a phone booth man yeah that's every guy in the 70s please yeah that one's not as damning to me but the nurse thing i did not remember i know that's weird i know ruth died in 2019 at the age of 89 Just oh away. my god yeah that one's insane insane right oh i feel bad for her i feel so bad for her and I, i'll post and it. ed and ed i'll post them they're a cute little couple that so. detective doesn't give a shit that detective doesn't think there's anything cute about any of this oh man that's it that's all i got thanks y'all join our patreon thanks for listening tell your friends review subscribe yes. thank you for those um new listeners that we got from tiktok thank you for leaving a review we loved it oh uh, yeah all your feedback is very much appreciated so we really love y'all we are in love with y'all we love you so much In love <laughs> we'll wait. we'll stand here in silent until you say it back